Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded, a podcast all about creating visibility, paths for growth, and opportunity for entrepreneurs. We focus on those entrepreneurs who are statistically underrepresented in the startup ecosystem. Your hosts are Zena Island, president of X Plus PR, a media relations agency, angel investor Aurelia Flores, managing member of Athena Digital Media Group, a digital marketing agency, and angel investor Christina Francis, president of Esteem Logic, an information technology consulting and training firm. In each episode, you will meet a new startup founder, hear about their company and where they are now. We then focus on one key challenge facing that entrepreneur, a challenge that is common among startups. Each episode also features a guest expert to weigh in on the challenge. Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded. Welcome to another episode of Get Found, Get Funded. Our topic today is related to funding. As an entrepreneur, how do you vet what meetings you take and with whom to optimize your time? Today, we're here with Emily Rotolo, founder and CEO of Simple Forms. Emily has successfully completed the Techstars Accelerator program in the first cohort of their new program, Techstars Anywhere. She and her team are currently at Evo Nexus in San Diego, a nonprofit incubator. In under a year, she has not only been able to build a product, launch two products, generate revenue, integrated with multiple publicity traded companies, and begin strategic conversations and partnership conversations with some of the world's largest companies and government agencies in the space. She is a young first-time founder that doesn't take no for an answer and pushes through the multitude of challenges she's faced so far in her entrepreneurial journey. As Simple Forms, they believe mandatory documents for employment should be easier to understand. They started by simplifying the completion, exchange, and storage of the, first, of the three most redundant forms across industries, W-4, I-9s, and W-9s. In addition to their pre-made form database, businesses can use the custom form creator and their gen integration partners to compose the perfect onboarding flow for their employees, vendor, and clients. Streamlining the paper component of hiring or vendor management with simple forms not only protects businesses from fines and penalties during audits, but also provides a ROI on labor force by removing redundant onboarding tasks. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And our guest expert today is Melanie Gordon. As co-founder and CEO of Tap Hunter, Melanie Gordon has grown the company from an innovative two-person startup into a leading player in the hospitality software space. Prior to starting Tap Hunter in 2012, Melanie founded and led the successful marketing firm G-Wave Consulting and held senior roles at a variety of high-tech and startup companies. An active leader in the rapidly growing San Diego startup community, Melanie co-founded San Diego Startup Week and serves as a mentor to aspiring entrepreneurs throughout the region. Melanie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So great to have you both here. This is Christina. Let's get into the discussion a bit. 
Emily, can you tell us a little bit about how you actually came up with the idea for Simple Forms? Definitely. Um, so Simple Forms came out of a problem that I encountered. So I actually lived a problem when I was working for a different startup, and I was hiring 1,500 people in a two-month period. Uh, there's not a software solution for that amount of individuals, both employees and contractors that are filling out NDAs, liability releases, photo releases, media releases, and the constant paperwork between our DocuSign and Dropbox and filing cabinets, it became a complete mess. Um, and while I was hiring all those individuals, I really started to learn that as a country, we don't understand the documents that we're required to fill out. So out of the 1,500 people, we had some employees get fined for doing their W-4 incorrectly. Um, and that became a constant in my life. I kind of kept seeing the W-4 and the W-9 issues uh, as redundant pain points as I continued my journey from Utah into San Diego and decided that nobody's going to create the solution for us and I am the one to do it. So we started by patenting a simple or smart bill solution for the W4, W9, and I9 so that we could have a horizontal product into any industry and grow from there. Wow. So did you, did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur when this started or were you just focused on solving the problem? Um, I would say a little bit of both. So I went to Georgetown University, and Hoya I was Saxo. pre-med. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? I said Hoya Saxa. Hoya Saxa, yes. You, I loved getting a call from a, a DC number. <laughs> um, but I, I was pre-med, and I figured I should take an internship before going on that journey. It's a very clear-cut path. And I ended up at an internship with BizNow Media. I was their first intern at this startup. They got acquired last year. And the Suns company was Summit Series, which is an awesome group of entrepreneurs. And I, I got hooked very, very quickly. I went from an intern to a freelancer to an employee, and now I get to attend the Summit Series events as a founder myself. Um, so being surrounded by that entrepreneurial spirit ever since being a junior in college, there, there definitely was no other path for me. And on the patent side... Did you understand the patent process, or how did you identify navigating that process early on? Um, I ask for a lot of help. I have never been afraid of asking for help where there's something that I don't know. Um, and the patent process started before I told anybody what I was building. So it was really uh, an internal decision and struggle, because with a patent, you can't tell anybody before you file. So you can't do any marketing. You can't really even do much market research because then the patent could become null and void. Um, so I, I worked with four different patent attorneys. Um, I worked with four different CPAs. And really, it was just a really exciting process to learn. Um, we ended up with about a 50-page patent that we submitted uh, officially, the non-provisional, in January 2017. Wow. So I like the story you gave that you were surrounded by entrepreneur spirits. And because of that, um, w you know, what led you down this journey and where are you in your funding process? Yeah. Um, well, being at Summit Series with all these founders that have succeeded, it definitely gives you something to strive for and look up to. Um, and it was the more I started talking about the idea and getting uh, good feedback from friends and family and then also the founders of Summit Series kind of really gave me the encouragement that I could do this. Um, and so I've never created a software. 
I've been on my own. I had built one when I was at Summit, but nothing on my own. Um, I did ask for their approval to work with that same engineer that we started with, but he wasn't the right person. So I wasn't going to stop. We're in San Diego where Intuit is as well. So I, I had some friends that worked at Intuit. I asked them to sit down and kind of explain certain pieces of a technology software. Um, I was an English major, so not computer science, not software engineering. Uh, my first meeting, I they literally drew out a, this is the cloud, this is the database, this is, you know, the language you write in. And just learning all of that made me so excited. Um, I asked for advisors to help me find the right talent to hire, and he's now my technical co-founder, Jonathan Robinowski. And we've been together for two years now. So from our first prototype, we applied to go to Collision Conference. Uh, Definitely learned that taking a prototype to a conference is amazing, but hearing that it's amazing doesn't help you. So we learned very easily. We messed up at that first event where we should have asked, what don't you like? What could we add? What could we do differently? But it did give us enough encouragement that this was a solid idea and a pain that a lot of people felt. Um, and then with the mentorship, I mean, I spoke with Melanie actually right before we got into Techstars. The day I think that we, we even applied to Techstars, I sat with Melanie as a mentor. Um, and just getting to speak with different founders that have done it definitely pushed me and encouraged me to be, I don't know, if it's brazen enough to go for it. That's awesome. I mean, you got such an interesting story, and I think there's a lot of pieces of it that <clears throat> probably resonate with Um, different entrepreneurs who might be listening. Let's kind of focus on the topic of the day, though, right? I mean, as a startup founder, you're pulled in so many different directions. And in preparing for the show, you shared with us that a big challenge is figuring out how to parse through all these meetings that you need to take, particularly with funders or potential funders. And how do you decide which ones are valuable and which ones might be... um, either taking you in the wrong direction or, you know, really just kind of yanking your chain, if you will. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Definitely. That's something that I have been learning more and more and more. Um, Again, I will give so much credit to my mentors, advisors, and the people ask for help. And they remind me and say, you know, Emily, that meeting might not have been the best use of your time. What can you do today that is going to move your business forward? And if that meeting is not going to make an impact on my business today, it's not the best time for me to have that meeting. Um, So before I talk about the funding side, especially being in an incubator and then having tech stars, we get approached a lot by service providers. And I value the opportunity to create those relationships for when we need something. But if it's not going to impact my business today, it's really a distraction. Um, So for certain service providers, whether it's a tenant rep or an insurance or something along those lines that I know we will one day need, um, I kind of keep pushing the conversation off and off and off and determine how persistent that person is because they're trying to sell me. So if they can put up with me pushing them off, when the time comes and I have a free week or a free day, I'll take that meeting. Um, And so far, that kind of method has worked out really well. We've created a lot of really great relationships uh, because I'm not wasting their time and they're not wasting mine. On the funding side, especially being a female solo founder, it's definitely been challenging um, on both sides, whether it's a potential customer that could be a distraction or a different market that could be a distraction. With our product, we built it very horizontal on purpose, but we get pulled into, oh, that could be amazing for real estate. That could be amazing for healthcare. That could be amazing for 
Um, and so really defining our focus and staying true to that for the customers comes into play during the, the investor conversations as well. Um, in the past two weeks, is the three weeks, is the first time I think I've actually turned down investors. Um, I do my research. So we did a demo day a few weeks ago and had a big approach from multiple different uh, investors, both VCs, angels, and uh, PE firms. I've never done my research on a PE firm. I started really looking into it, but I went to my invest, current investors, other founders, and even a lawyer who I all had connections with on LinkedIn. And the response by all three of them was, here's my phone number, call me immediately. So even though we've only raised $400,000, we need to be raising a lot more right now. Talking to each one of those experienced executives and being told it's a waste of my time, I canceled that meeting which is scary for me because, you know, we're fundraising and we need to be fundraising and I should be talking to everybody. But understanding that not everybody has our best interest in, in mind and not everybody is the right fit for us. Money is not just money. There's a lot of strings and uh, personalities and strategies that come attached to it. So the other, the other side of it is we were talking to an investor up in L.A. and every time they talked to me for a due diligence, they needed something. And so I would spend however many hours to get ready for it and send it to them that day so that they could start my due diligence. So I'd follow up the next day, hey, did you get it? Were you able to start? Oh, I need this from you now. And so we just kind of kept seeing that as their method, and they were kind of doing to me what I've done to service providers. They were just stringing me along and pushing me off. Um, so I said very frankly, you know, this isn't the right fit for us. I'm going to be closing down my round next week anyway. Uh, but if there's room in the next one, I'll let you know. And that actually triggered them to invite me up to L.A. the next day to come for a meeting with both partners. Um, and I turned it down because I shouldn't have to run up to L.A. because I've now told you no, and that's the only reason you want to meet with me. Um, so there are games that people play, and I don't want to play that one. And that's definitely helped with making those decisions. On the other side of it, we've had investors that have passed on us, and then an amazing opportunity comes up. So I'll go right back to them. I've decided that I'm going to position the company to pick our investors instead of the investors picking us. So even though this investor has already passed on us, they gave us an awesome reason why, and it's something that we can fix. And so every time I get closer to fixing that, I call them. And I say, hey, Anthony, just checking in. This is what we did. I'll call you in a few weeks. But, you know, if we change this, would you look at us again? And the answer has been yes across the board. Um, so... Doing your research, talking to people that have worked with those investors, but really understanding what is going to impact your business today and later on. You know, when an IBM or the Department of Labor wants to talk to us, I'm going to take that meeting. But I'm also going to say that it's a distraction if I do anything more than take that meeting for right now. Emily, thanks for that. I know a lot of our listeners um, will appreciate hearing uh, your journey, one, because I'm sure they go through the same things, but also just to hear your, your power um, and, and empowering yourself to say no and to make those decisions so that you're in the best position. And Melanie, I want to turn to you as well um, as another awesome female entrepreneur and someone who advises businesses. Tell us a little bit about your journey and how it's been similar or different than Emily's and, you know, how your journey of being a successful startup founder has brought you to where you are today. Yeah, sure. It's been an absolute joy getting to know Emily. We're just down the street from each other. 
my journey actually started when I was a little girl. Um, I started racing motorcycles from a young age. So, yes, I have uh, the crazy and or brilliant parents who allowed their daughter to uh, do that. So um, I've kind of grown up, you know, in an environment where I was always told I could do anything I put my mind to. Um, from there, I became an avid snowboarder. Um, a couple few bad injuries and realized I wasn't going to be able to be a pro snowboarder for the rest of my life, which was really my dream. Um, I found my way to San Diego. Um, ultimately, got into startup and was really blessed to work for one of the fastest growing tech startups in early 2000 uh, and saw what it took to start and, and run a company from the ground up. Uh, in 2006, went on to start a marketing agency and then out of that agency incubated uh, my first tech startup. So while this is my second company, it's my first tech startup as well. And we're about six years in. Um, so it's been just a, an amazing journey. I wouldn't change anything for the world, uh, but definitely uh, just a complete roller coaster ride. But always great to be surrounded by other founders and um, great investors and, and the like. Melanie, you also mentor other founders and have founded San Diego Startup Week and are active in the startup spaces. So you see this as an issue a lot. You see this as an issue a lot. Mm -hmm. Let's break it down, um, the meetings into different buckets. Absolutely. There's new investors that you're trying to get. There's speaking to your current investors. There's requests from vendors and service providers, as Emily alluded to. There's advisors. There's all the events out there who want your advertising dollars, all the partners or tech partners or startups who want to partner with your company, private equity firms are beating down the door. Um, my, my favorite is getting introduced to other founders who need help. I will always make time for that. Uh, but first and foremost is also your prospects and customers are always number one. So this is a, <laughs> a, a pretty large um, buckets and it is can take up a lot of time if you're not careful you'll be stuffed into a vacuum and Melanie one of those other groups is your own internal team too right you had, you had actually yes. reminded us hey that's that's an important constituency also well, absolutely yeah yeah well let's run down the list and let's kind of take them one at a time because you guys have both already talked about how sometimes you choose to take meetings or not um and Emily, early on, you had said something about what are you going to do today to take your business forward? And I think that's really important. Let's start, though, with the bucket of current investors. Melanie, how much time do you allocate or spend with current investors? And does that change over the course of the life cycle of the business? It absolutely does. In the early days, especially the stage that Emily is in, which I remember all too well, uh, there are new investors, and you're still getting used to each other. What's really important is to set up boundary conditions and set expectations on how often you'll be communicating to them, whether that's monthly or quarterly. Uh, and it's really important to set that cadence. Uh, for me, personally, in our company today, we're a little bit further along. Uh, the, the updates or the emails turned more to, to quarterly, and then I have two or three investors who like to be updated more, and I've left the door open for them to ping me directly when they feel that they would like just a separate uh, side update. But currently, uh, investors get quarterly updates uh, as well. Melanie, give our listeners a little more color there. I love what you said about kind of starting to set the groundwork for those relationships and set expectations and boundaries. Let's be really specific. What do you mean by that? So... Your term sheets and investor docs 
do have legalese that you, as the founder and CEO of the company, have a responsibility to report on a certain level of your company, finances, the books, all of that, right? Which can be really intimidating for a first-time tech founder. And so early on, I had gotten really great advice from other mentors of mine saying, uh, set that that schedule up front and, and be clear about what's going to be in your monthly updates, right? So new customers, cash flow, retention, what are the key metrics that your investors can expect to see every single month and then be very, very consistent? And so they will get an email blast uh, with those top three to five uh, metrics. But more importantly, the very first thing in the email is what I need help with because they're there to help problem solve. So very first thing is one or two key things I need help with, uh, whether it's an introduction or a particular challenge or we're hiring a person. And then it's the, the key performance indicators and, hey, if you have additional questions, let me know. If not, you'll hear from me again next month. And so that's kind of the, um, the, the process that we had put in place. I think that's great advice for any entrepreneurs that have um, investors, right? Number one setting what those expectations are up front, what metrics are you going to be reporting on, what are those KPIs, know what your reporting obligations are, but also be consistent. And then I love yep. that you ask for help up front. That's really important. And I'm guessing, um, just to kind of get a little bit even more specific, that the level of interaction and meetings you have with an investor who is perhaps on your board is different than just an investor who's expecting a monthly or a quarterly report. Can you talk about that for a minute? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, also preparing for, you know, board calls and things of that nature are even different. So um, it, it matters on how active uh, your board and advisors are, right? So early days, they were very active. It took a lot of prep up front uh, to prepare for those and to have calls and debriefs. Um, and so it's, it's a matter of understanding how deeply those board members want to be involved or how hands-off they want to be involved. So we had a, a lead investor who wanted to be updated monthly, but in certain life cycles of our company, based on particular partnerships or other opportunities we had, they were very, very involved. Um, and so it just, it, it depends, it ebbs and flows. Yeah. Emily, how about you? What has your been, been your experience with your current investors and your communication and meetings that you have to take with them? Um, so I would say exactly uh, what Melanie said for the earlier stage. Uh, we are on a monthly update cadence, and what you read in Venture Deals, so if you haven't read Venture Deals, everybody should read Venture Deals. Um, what you read in Venture Deals and, and what you've been told is your 10K investors will be the most uh, ones to contact you, and they're not wrong. Um, but what I really kind of understood was we're a very small team. I am a solo founder. I have an engineer and a developer. And so I really put my investors to work for us. So just like Melanie said, the top of my email update every month are my apps. What do I need? What do I need help with? Where our challenges are? Um, and creating that transparency early on and knowing your strengths and weaknesses really helps allow for that relationship to be candid and vulnerable to somebody that you're trying to look strong and put together for. Um, so we have done a monthly updates every month. It's always the end of the month. And I definitely get pinged a few days ahead of time from certain events, investors asking for the monthly update. Um, and I just tell them, you know, last day of the month, it's coming, hang tight. Um, 
But I text with my investors. We call, we grab coffee for Techstars because we were in the Anywhere program. It was virtual. So Ryan Cooter is never going to be done with me um, because they are more experienced than me, and we're all in this together now. They've already put their money in, so they want me to succeed. So the more that they can help me, they, they do. And so that's something that I bring up during our due diligence phases. I'm not looking just for money. Um, I'm looking for the support and the strategic investor that will help us push our company forward. Um, and, and as Melanie said, being transparent and saying that early on is usually a very big positive in their eyes. I haven't met an investor that says, oh, we don't want to help you. We just want to give you the money. Um, so we make lists of what we need help with, where we need to go, um, and, and being responsible on getting that email out. It's definitely an email that causes me anxiety um, because I want to present our company the best foot forward, but at the same time, being transparent and saying what's good and bad. Um, it's hard to send it out every month, uh, but we get positive responses. My email goes out to almost 90 people at this point because it doesn't go out just to our investors. It goes out to all of our Techstar mentors, all of the mentors um, and other founders that I've kind of built this network around me and our company for help. Um, and so it, it's definitely nerve-wracking to send it out, but it's one of the best pieces of advice that we got from Techstars and from other founders of sending out that monthly cadence of an email. We will switch to quarterly uh, eventually. Um, we do a standard template that I created, so it's the same every month. There are great softwares um, that have come out from Eric Reese and his company, LSTE, where you can actually just plug in all of your information, the right KPIs, the right metrics, and it spits out a very formal-looking uh, investor update. So we're actually in the transition now of moving to that type of update because we have the ability to calculate our conversion rates, our customer acquisition costs. We have enough uh, movement and, and new customers coming in where our updates are getting meatier and meatier. Emily, this is Zena. Um, is that a, the norm to put your investors to work? Uh, is that something or something different? I'm curious to know, and I'm sure um, our listeners would be too. Yeah. Um, to me, it's the norm. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I believe that I become their employee a little bit when we get funded by them, but I also believe that they become mine a little bit. Um, and so there's that respect in the relationship that I think allows for that to happen. Um, but maybe it is just the investors that I've been lucky enough to work with so far, but they want me to ask for help. Some of our 10K angel investors have introduced us to the most customers so far um, because they invest in other businesses. They invest in small businesses or the hospitality space, and they want us to succeed. Um, we did have one investor ask for advisory equity, and my answer to that was no, because you're not an advisor. You are our investor, um, and, and that's the portion in the job that you signed up for, and we talked about that before we took your money. Christina and Aurelia, how do you feel about that? I'm just curious as you, because you two are investors. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I know the text messages. <laughs> I, I get them from uh, folks that have, I've, I've invested in. But I think it goes back to Emily's point earlier is that you have to be intentional about who you choose to invest in you. Mm. And you want to choose a person or a, you know, a fund that really believes in your value and your product and someone who's going to be excited to help you. Um, so I only know that experience as well. Yeah, I mean, I think... As an angel, you're expected to be smart money, right? You're supposed to be there to help and give, you know, give introductions and 
make you know connections whatever you're supposed to I mean that's part of your job is it's yeah that's mm -hmm. part of the the expectation I think but I, I love Emily that you made make a point to say hey this is what I want and and I think that's um it's it is appealing to investors to say great because we want to help and usually angel investors do want to roll up their sleeves and dig in and I also think it's important for investors or sorry for founders to know it's okay to you know put boundaries on the relationship too because we know you're pulled in a lot of directions so yeah. that probably brings us to the next yeah and I, next you know what, one thing I also appreciate Emily that you mentioned uh, and just highlighted was um, being vulnerable right there's a level of vulnerability and being transparent to those folks that are you know providing money or time or just you know a lot of emotional or sweat equity in what you're doing so with that you guys were just talking about current investors but what about potential investors I'm going to push this to Melanie uh, Melanie, can you share with us how you learned about judging the value of an investor or potential investor? Absolutely. So learn from my mistake. I'll share a story through mistakes that you should avoid. <laughs> and <laughs> I knew this because I have a, a, a vast background in sales and business development. And the process of fundraising, when you think about it, is the same. It's just a different audience. So you're building your pipeline, you're qualifying, you're meeting, and you're closing a deal, right? Same process, different audience. So early on, I think raising money was so exciting to me that I kind of forgot uh, to run the process. And so anyone who would take a meeting with me, I would have coffee with because it was just so exciting. And looking back, I wasted probably 20 to 50 meetings of valuable time with individuals who were angels and investors nonetheless, like no disrespect whatsoever. But when you're trying to close out a half million dollar round in 30 days and you just spend an hour with someone who's only willing to write you a check for $10,000 and then your next meeting for an hour is with someone who can write a check for $100,000. And so it's really important to know that going in, right? And these were in-person meetings, driving around town and um, – Slowly but surely over time, the caliber of the investors changed, and a lot of it could be done over the phone or through video and um, the such. But raising money, there is a process. And if you know anything about sales and business development, it, it's very, very similar. And you need to do your homework. Like Emily said, she really does her homework uh, on the investor she's going to be speaking and meeting with. Um, in the early days, it's exciting and you want to say yes to everything. There's actually a lot of power in being able to say no and turn one down that isn't a fit for you. It's business, right? You're not hurting anyone's feelings. Uh, it's business. So being okay saying no to potential investors as well that might not be a fit for you. Melanie, as a startup, you get approached by a ton of vendors. How do you parse through and decide who to meet with? Yes. I only, I only giggle and laugh in a good way because Emily has just completed Techstars. And when you complete a program like that, your name and list and email gets shared to hundreds of people. So I can only imagine how many cold emails she's getting on a daily basis <laughs> of people who want to host her technology or develop her product or whatever else it is, right? I mean, I, years later, right, I'm, my inbox is inundated with these sorts of things. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a balance, right? I think uh, your first six to 12 months, 
you're on a path to setting up the key vendors that you need. And then after that, you move on, right? So types of vendors I'm talking about are who's running your payroll, who's doing your accounting and your books, right? When you're early stage, you don't have a CFO. Um, And so you're outsourcing some of these things. Maybe you have an HR consultant. Set those things up and move on. And then, uh, again, don't be afraid to say no uh, or not responding is okay. It took me a little bit to be comfortable with that, but they're all in sales, right? They're building a pipeline. They have to send 100 emails a day and make 50 phone calls a day. They got metrics to hit. So it's okay if you don't respond to those vendor emails. If it's not something that you need right now, just store it away and move on. Melanie, tell us a little bit about how you judge the value of an investor. So you were basically saying you should pre-qualify them, right? Before you before you take a meeting with a potential investor, and that might be on several different um, metrics. What do you yeah. do to do that? Yeah. So what's really important on valuing the investors is first knowing how much you're raising so that you understand what types of investors you should be going after. So if you're Uh, Friends and family round, right? Your network is as big as your phone book is. So um, that's the first step. When you move on to a seed round or, um, you know, maybe your first Series A or to seed round, um, there's a certain profile of angels investors or early seed stage funds who would be interested in your deal. So you have to get really specific about uh, the types of investors that invest in certain types of industries. So specifically, we're a software as a service company, but specifically in the B2B industry. And so there's really specific investors who might be looking for uh, that type of investment, right? Um, and so being able to start creating that list, which we did in Google Docs. Um, and then the second realm to evaluate is getting introductions. Um, There's no better way into another great qualified um, investor who has a good reputation than getting an introduction from another um, entrepreneur or co-founder, regardless if they're in the portfolio or not. Just getting a warm intro into another investor is key. And so building that list and, um, and and going after them that way. Um, Also important to understand how large their fund is. How large are the first checks that they write in? And so building a spreadsheet that has these parameters in them. So name of angel or the fund, where are they located, right? Are you going to maybe have to travel or not? Can you still be on the phone? How large is their fund? What uh, uh, size of checks do they write? What are the last five companies that they invested in in their portfolio, which you can find on Crunchbase most of the time? And build out a spreadsheet that allows you to assess and sort um, and kind of prioritize the order into which you're going to go after these investors as well. And so that's a bit of the process um, that we've ran in the past. So I want to highlight what you just said. I want to kind of um, encapsulate because I think it's really important. So what you just said is that you put together a spreadsheet that, number one, sorted potential investors by the level of investment they do, right? So we know that in the entrepreneur life cycle, certain investors will come in at certain stages. Um, that is different and distinct from the amount of check they might write. But I think that's important also, right? So it's not just how much, how, how big a check they might write, but also at what stage they might write that. 
another Absolutely. yeah another criteria would be do they invest in your industry type or do they invest in the type of company you are and how large is their fund overall and who have they invested in lately and the other thing that i would add to that spreadsheet is timing so i know when people ask me hey you know can you can we meet on this or that and i'm always upfront to say i'm happy to meet with you and i'm not doing any investments at this time if that's true right so that people mm-hmm. don't come to me to thinking they can pitch If, in fact, I'm happy to meet with them, I'm happy to give them my advice or maybe talk to them about something else, but I'm not in a position at the moment to invest because here's what my timing is, right? So I think that's another... That is such a fantastic point. And again, learn from my mistakes. I wish I would have asked that more up front. Most investors will take meetings and coffee all day long with new founders with great ideas because it's exciting and it's fun and they want to help. And that's one question I didn't ask. Are you currently investing out of your fund or out of your family trust or wherever the money was coming from? Because then I would learn that two or three, two to three weeks later when you're getting ready to close and you got a maybe and you thought it was stronger than a maybe and you're going to ask for that $100,000 check. And then all of a sudden Steve's saying, oh no, actually I'm on pause for the summer you know, catch me on the next round. And so the, the timing question, and so being um, a great salesperson, right? So timing, um, a great salesperson follows, right? Is, uh, do you have the authority? Are you the person in the fund making the decisions? Um, it, what's the timing of your fund right now, right? When were your house, when were your last deals closed? And again, a lot of this is public information. So you can go on Crunchbase and see, was their last deal closed? 60 days ago, six months ago, or was the last you know deal that they invested in 12 months ago? Um, so it's really, really important. I'll add one more criteria to that, is, and that is process. Because a lot of angel funds, um, like the um, network that Christine and I are in, have a particular process. So if you come to us outside of that process, we might invest, but it wouldn't be with that particular network. So I think that's another piece of the pre-qualifying process. The other thing I want to mention there is certainly as an angel, and I think most people in the investment space, we're not going to be offended if we're asked, hey, are you investing right now? It's perfectly fine. We know that everybody's Mm -hmm. time is really limited. And I think there is something to be said for building those relationships and kind of starting to cultivate the network of investors. But if you don't have time to do that right now, because like you said, Melanie, you're closing around in 30 days, that's fine. Everybody understands that. There's no problem there. Um, exactly. Yeah. Emily, let's go to you really quickly and ta- in your experience in talking to potential investors, because I know you've got some really interesting experience here, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mine has been a true roller coaster. Um, we've been raising our pre-seed round for about a year now. Um, so not the ideal situation. It was pretty much what I wanted to avoid was not just collecting 10 checks at a time. Um, but unfortunately that's how it's played out for us so far. Um, we are in the process right now of ideally closing our round tomorrow. So we've been in a two and a half week due diligence with three different firms. Um, and it's been really great. Um, something that you brought up earlier too was talking about the vulnerability and going in um, to investors and being open and transparent and asking. Um, and so I, I'd just like to say to that point first, 
So we're in the middle of a due diligence with this one investor. I'm really, really enjoying it. I've learned a ton. Um, I have learned to love the due diligence process. Um, but I've also learned during that process, it's okay to ask for help again. Um, so I had gotten turned down from an investor after three pitch meetings, a two-and-a-half-hour due diligence, and they literally ended the meeting saying, you are a first-time young solo female founder. You have all the cards stacked up against you. So in my mind, I'm like, great, well, stop perpetuating the problem and help me. <laughs> That's not the case. They passed on us. Uh, but what I did that was, as Melanie says, which I love, let's talk about what we've messed up on so we can help others. Uh, the next due diligence process, I started with that. I said, I get it. I, this is my first time. I am a young first-time female founder, but nobody is going to work harder than me. Nobody is this, this, and this, and this. And then they also made a comment saying, in an apology, because females are taken differently, uh, I'm so sorry I did not do my hair and makeup. I, we start our sprint meetings at 6 a.m. All of that was unnecessary. Uh, I know why I did it, and I know why I said it, because if I say it, you can't. Um, but in, instead, I followed up with that investor after our live Q&A, and we did an hour workshop yesterday to position myself as an expert rather than the first-time founder of a startup. I am the expert in my domain. I love due diligence because I am the expert of our company because I do it every single day. And so, one, it was scary to be that open and ask for help and ask for feedback because um, that's what started the workshop we did yesterday but then to be vulnerable and open during that workshop. In reality, the way that I look at it is I'm coachable and I'm willing to learn, and that should be a positive to our investors. Um, so I don't think that was a negative indicator to them that I asked for feedback and I asked for constructive criticism because I'm showing that I want to get better. Um, and so with that, we find out tomorrow from this investor if we get to close our round or not. Um, the process with the different investors that I've worked at with and have gone through due diligence is, like you mentioned, the angel groups. They have a process. A majority of them, I have gone through the traditional process. A lot of them and a lot of our investors that we do have, to Melanie's point, have come from introductions. They have come from my network. They have come from me asking for an introduction. Um, and then in return, I really try to do that for every founder that I meet. There is an investor, again, I'm dying to work with them. We don't have a board. I'm the board of one, and I would give them a board seat. But until we're ready for their scale, because we don't hit their, their milestones and metrics yet, I will introduce other founders that I think can benefit from this fund. Um, because even though we're slightly competitive because we're both raising money, I really do believe in complement, not competing. Um, and so if I can introduce the investors that I have positive interactions with to other founders, um, and I think it elevates me, but also elevates the other founders as well. Um, not sure I answered the question. <laughs> you know, I'm going to bring up something you had said to us in an early meeting that sometimes as a young female founder, there might be people who position themselves as potential investors and either are not or they want something else from you. Um, and I think that's a different dynamic altogether. Do you want to chat about that just briefly? Because um, I think I think it's an important thing to bring up. Um particularly for other founders who might be in your, in your shoes? Definitely. Um, so I have rules. Uh, I have gone through some pretty unfortunate situations in my life, uh, not just with this company, but also within this company. And I have rules. I do not take drink meetings. I don't do happy hours. I do not drink in professional settings. 
Um, I don't go to dinners for meetings. Um, and it's unfortunate. There's definitely things that I've missed out on. But at the same time, I've also gone through a formal investigation with a corp dev and an investor of a billion-dollar company because I said something. And it was detrimental to my mental health, to my company, and to my team. Um, I would say something again every day because it's not fair. Um, but so I really learned to set my boundaries. It's taken a lot of time, but positioning myself as the one in power and positioning myself with the, the knowledge and the confidence to say no and to say no thank you. Um, I was just on a panel the other day for the movie Dream, Comma Girls, and it was really emotional and hard to watch because everything that those women have gone through three years later, I have lived through every one of those experiences. Um, I wear a sweatshirt up zipped all the way up every day because I don't need to be anything about what I look like. I am super friendly, but I have stopped going to networking events because of the situation in October. Um, and so it's definitely a really different and hard situation. It's hard to work with male mentors when they tell you how it should be, because I'll tell you it's not going to be that way for me. It's going to be very, very different for me than it is for you. Um, and so finding those people, male and female, that are there to support you on those hard conversations, to support you to make those hard decisions. Um, I met with an investor two times, and both times I was asked inappropriate questions. I will never meet with that individual ever again. Uh, I don't care if it's a $50,000 check, if it's an acquisition from a billion-dollar company. If it's not that level of respect that I deserve, I'm not going to take that meeting, and I'm, I am strong enough a year later to understand that and to own my power. Um, there will be other investors, and that person's not the right one. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's really important for other women founders and particularly young women to, to share those um, experiences and also learn how to position yourself you know, in a, in a place of power that you obviously have really learned very well. So thanks for sharing. It's a daily process, but yes, we're working towards it. And I have a team of all males, and they have signed up to work harder, and they know that, and we talk about that, and they support me. So when I had to make the decision of do we bring this to the legal department and go through this investigation or not, they supported me. Um, and so surrounding yourself with your team as well as the community um, is really important for all founders, but especially the first-time ones. Yeah, thank, thank you for sharing that. I know, again, our listeners will really appreciate your honesty um, uh, on that topic. So I just I have, two, I have a two-part question for you. And, you know, Melanie and Emily, you both mentioned uh, leveraging your advisors, mentors, others to help make a warm introduction to investors. What are What's some advice that you can give our listeners and other founders on how they may make that ask to get that warm introduction? And then the second part of the question is uh, around partnerships. Well, let me let you ask the, answer the first question, then we'll get to the partnership question. Yeah, absolutely. So warm introductions to investors work the best if they're coming from other founders or entrepreneurs, um, regardless, as Emily was even mentioning, if it's investors that are not yet in her company, she's willing to make that intro. Founders and entrepreneurs are not going to make intros for you if they don't know who you are. So you do have to genuinely, <laughs> whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, 
you need to surround yourself and become friends with um, other founders, but authentically, for real, in life. And so um, I'm naturally a very outgoing person. I'm sales, marketing, business development, but lots of founders are not. They might be more engineers or developers, or maybe they're, they're just introverted in general. So what I would say is if you find yourself as a founder or a new CEO and you're kind of getting off the ground, it really matters to build and develop relationships with other founders and CEOs, whether they're at day one, day 10, you know, year 10. Um, and those relationships take time, like any relationship does. You don't just go to one coffee meeting, right, and just think you're going to hit it off. And all of a sudden, me and Emily are going to open up our Rolodexes and start making intros for you. Um, we have to make sure that you're legit and you have a product, right? We're putting our reputation on the line for making intros for you. Um, so that's the best introduction that you can absolutely get to, to any other investor. Sure, your attorneys, your bankers, all of those people can do it. Uh, but the best ones come from other founders um, and entrepreneurs. Great. And, and so on the partnership side, and I know, Melanie, you have some strong opinions about partnerships for new startup founders uh, and beyond. Can you share uh, some of your thoughts with us? Absolutely. So partners are really just other as we're, you know, Emily and I both run tech, um, B2B kind of enabled companies. And so it'll the experience and kind of story will be around that realm, but just in general. And I think that early on, it's, oh, gosh, you guys would be really great if you were partnered with XYZ company, right? Um, and, we, and we got so much of that in the early days because everyone wants to help you, but it's also your job as the founder and CEO to qualify and parse through all the noise and the chaos, right? Because um, it'll never stop. You just have to get good um, at parsing through that noise and chaos and all the introductions that you'll get. Two startups partnering together is very difficult. And I was told this 20 or 50 times and often all rarely in, in anything that is great and viable, right? If you think about the um, <laughs> startups that are three months, six months old, both trying to partner and they're so fragile, right? If you think about how fragile you are at that stage and it can be a huge time suck. So you have to be really, really careful um, about how you think about partnering, whether it's on sales or marketing, or maybe you're going to integrate your products together, right? Um, it's really important, again, to not get sucked into the vacuum of the excitement that this noise means you're important and that it should be a priority. Um, and so really, really making sure that, that you have a process you can run through to, to prioritize um, those types of requests. Partnerships. Um, on the larger side, for example, we had an opportunity to partner with one of the largest uh, alcohol inventory companies in the world. And they have over a thousand franchises internationally, but there was a component of our technology and product they didn't have. And so it was a good match, right? A partnership like that makes sense. Um, but even today, we have companies that come to us that are really, really early stage, and they'll send emails that say, partner with us, or we want to sell your product for you. I now have a templated email um, on how I respond to this stuff. That way, 
it goes off, it gives them something to do, there's actually an assignment attached to it, and if they come back with uh, something to that assignment, then I know that they're going to take it serious, that it's not just another um, kind of looky-loo, um, you know, sending out a bunch of emails looking for people to partner with. And, and Emily, how, what have you found on your side? Um, I would agree with everything Melanie just said, that the idea of two startups partnering together is not anything that I'm really interested in right now, um, as well as the fact that there are partners that we're not ready for yet. Um, so I think to go to the technology side as well as, like, your team side, so it's not just the processes to, to manage that partnership, but can your your build your product actually manage it. So ADP is the behemoth of uh, the payroll company still, even with all the new products out there. And that was a response we got from one investor of, oh, you don't have a deal with ADP just yet. Well, if we did, I wouldn't be able to bring on any other customers because I would be managing that relationship this entire time. When I'm ready, I have an introduction to the C-suite of ADP, but I'm not ready yet. Um, and so really establishing your position and what you can handle. On the other side, very, very exciting. We are about to release our first integration with Intuit. Um, that has been a goal of mine since day one. Congratulations. And thank you. I'm so excited. Sure, <laughs> we had our, our global review yesterday, so it is uh, going live next week. Um, and they are the perfect partner for us because we add value to their products just as much as they would add value to ours we're actually really adding value to their customers. Um, and I think when you're looking at partnerships, that's a really important thing to take in mind. Um, and to Melanie's point, too, are they trying to get something out of you? Or are you trying to get something out of them? Or is it actually a dual relationship? Um, we're working so, so, so hard. Is it worth it for us to add value to somebody else's product right now and build that integration with my two engineers? or build more features for our product? And what is the, the business side of it? Uh, for this instance, this integration will funnel customers in. So it's a marketplace play. It is a market marketing play more than anything else. Um, and so that's why we, we wanted to take the risk at this early stage to create this partnership relationship. Um, but just as we've talked about with investors, partners will waste your time. Uh, you will meet with uh, Corp Dev product, sales, uh, and they'll waste your time just as much as investors is. Maybe they're looking to copy what you've built. Maybe they're just building their pipeline for later. Um, so it goes back to that focus. If it doesn't impact my business today, then I'll push it off. Uh, if it doesn't impact our business in the next few weeks, what is that level of importance? Um, for us, we are really looking to be a Slack-type model. Um, so having those integrations will be key for us. But knowing we can handle them so they don't kill us is the important part. Yeah, those are all wonderful points. Well, I'm sure you're excited to hear about that <laughs> partnership, Christina. <laughs> I, I mean, I, and I think on the tech side, you're right. Well, one of the biggest things is readiness and not putting yourself, you know, harm's way in terms of not being able to deliver or just spending more time making someone else's product, you know, what they want it to be and not focusing on your uh, requirements. I think, um, you know, Emily, you hit it on the head. So, and I'm just really excited to hear about your partnership with Intuit and the mm -hmm. fact that that was something you were thinking about early on. 
and you got it right and and, and it's adding value <laughs> for them and for you so congratulations again thank you it i mean everyone asks me why we're in san diego because i moved here from the mountains like melanie not a pro snowboarder would have loved to be <laughs> Uh, and everyone's like, why are you in San Diego? Intuit's here. We yeah. can learn so much from them. And that is a company that wants to help startups. It's amazing. That's great. Well, we talked about a lot today. Um, and so, Emily, I'm going to ask you, how can people learn more about you and Simple Forms? Um, I am an open book. So find me on LinkedIn, and I will, when I can, take the time to answer any questions. Uh, Emily Rotolo, um, but we have our, our website is live, so simpleforms.com. We have two products, as you mentioned in the beginning, and, and Melanie mentioned too, we're a B2B software, but we have this growing gig economy. So if you're an individual that needs to fill out a W-9 and you don't have a printer, because most don't, you can sign on to our platform, fill out your W-9, upload any other documents that you need to send, contracts, NDAs and send those off to any establishment, whether they're on Simple Forms or not. Um, so simpleforms.com, and we chat with you. You can text us. You can call us. We are super, super friendly. We'd love to talk to you. Great. Thank you. And, and Melanie, how can people learn more about you and your company? Absolutely. So our uh, website is getcatpuncher.com. So we provide a whole suite of marketing and operational tools for bars and restaurants. Um, and then also, uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at Mel Gordon. Um, I love mentoring, um, young tech founders, specifically female. So it's been a joy getting to know Emily. Um, and like you guys heard, we're in San Diego. So if you have any interest or are near our community, San Diego startup week is coming up at the end of June. Um, and we'd love to get to meet you. So if you find yourself in town, please look up myself or Emily so we can um, invite you and introduce you into the San Diego uh, startup community here. Thank you for the invitation. San Diego founders are some of the best founders. Uh, as Melanie was saying earlier, the founders to support each other has been one of the coolest things. And I think in San Diego more than anywhere else, there's a really, really inclusive uh, environment here. And you both demonstrated that today. I mean, I, I was just going to make that statement. Just it was so good to hear you all one feet off of each other, but obviously you've built and nurtured a relationship and helped each other through tough times. And I think that speaks volumes. That's, just a, that's, that's another show within itself. No, I know. <laughs> so laudable. Awesome. <laughs> so today we discussed how to optimize your time as an entrepreneur and lots of other things. Um, we talked about surrounding yourself with the right entrepreneurial spirits and you know, really building and nurturing relationships to help you stay excited about your journey. Emily utilized insight and feedback early on in her experience with mentorships and advisors and sponsors, and they were really key to helping her make decisions on her journey. And we talked about her success and actually meeting, um, making the partnership that she wanted from the beginning uh, when she established her company. One of the things to really think about is when you hear feedback and you hear that your product is amazing, push back and make sure you're getting that constructive feedback that's really going to push your company forward. And when you're, when you're looking at investors or um, partners, do your research, especially on investors, VCs, PE firms, uh, and lawyers. One of the things that uh, made Emily successful with some of the decisions that she's made is that she got that feedback early on. 
And she was able to say no as hard as it was. She was able to turn down the offers because she knew that she was focusing on those things that were pushing the company forward for her and for her customers and for her team. You're empowered to pick who you invest in. Emily really, and Melanie really hit on that. So it's okay to say no. And when you're looking at uh, moving forward, really focus on your, pro your prospective customers. They're number one. And set boundaries early when you're, when you're working with your investors. In early stage investors, it is okay in your term sheet and conditions to really track and um, make explicit up front key metrics, timing, expectations, cadence of updates. And as you mature, it's okay to move that to quarterly. If you have a few investors that require a little bit more hands-on attention, you may text them, call them, uh, and work uh, what, what, what works within that relationship. We also got advice to read Venture Deals, and I believe that's by Brad Feld, a uh, great book. So if you are out there and you haven't read that, make sure you do. Also, learn to curb your excitement and be intentional about your time. You don't have to go in person to every meeting, so use video. Let technology support you. Use your phone, text, and set priority meetings for, again, those individuals that are going to push your company forward. Your network is as big as your phone book. Know what type of investors you want to approach and really work on getting a warm introduction from your sponsors, advisors, and people that you've met along the way. But don't just ask anyone to make that warm introduction. Make sure you're putting your time in, building that relationship, nurturing it. It takes time to make trustful, trust relationships. Also, learn from your mistakes. We talked a lot about vulnerability and transparency. Learn from your mistakes, get in front of bias or uh, concern that investors or others may have, and position yourself as an expert. Learn to set your boundaries up front and really just enjoy your journey. Enjoy what you're working on. Make sure you're growing your, your network. Make sure you're staying true to your mission and to your product and to your team. And again, it is okay to say no if you have to. Emily and Melanie have shown us that you say no, you can say yes to all the things that come your path that are going to push your company forward. Thank you for joining us today. Please continue to listen to Get Found, Get Funded. Check out our website and download our newsletter. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.